Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Talk Show, your guide to the ever-changing world of social media. Support for our live show and podcast comes from Social Media Marketing World 2020. If you're a busy marketer struggling to keep up with the ever-changing nature of social media marketing, come to Social Media Marketing World. You'll join thousands of other marketers and more than 100 of the top industry pros to get the latest social media training in Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Messenger, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and Twitter all in one place. Plus, you'll make some personal connections and create lifelong friendships with people who speak your language understand your challenges, and are dedicated to helping you out. You'll also get a chance to meet with the speakers and get your specific questions answered. Social Media Marketing World takes place on March 1 through 3 in 2020 in beautiful San Diego, California. Man, I am ready to get there. I hope you guys can join us. Uh, you can register at socialmediamarketing.world. That's socialmediamarketing.world. Hello, folks. This is the Social Media Marketing Talk Show, a social media examiner production this is the show for marketers looking to stay on the leading edge of social media. I'm your host, Jeff C., a host of the Social Media Marketing Podcast and on the social team here at Social Media Examiner. And I'm Grace Duffy, the producer of the Social Media Marketing Talk Show and a contributor to Social Media Examiner, which is our daily website where you can get content and helpful how-to articles almost every day of the week. That's and right. our article for the show publishes on Saturdays. So those of you watching live or listening to the podcast, if there's any uh, links, comments, anything else that you wanted to follow up on, all the links are there for you. Every Saturday. And so on this week's show, we explore California's Consumer Privacy Act or CCPA and what all marketers everywhere in the world need to know right now to protect themselves. And we'll also cover some relevant social media news and how they impact you later on in the show. But today we are really excited to be joined by our guest, Jamie Lieberman. Jamie Lieberman is the owner and founder of Hashtag Legal and a practicing lawyer. She regularly speaks about legal matters, the art of negotiation, and entrepreneurial topics at live events and podcasts. She's co-host of the Fearless business podcast. So make sure you guys go and check that out. So what does California Consumer Privacy Act entail? Who does it apply to? What businesses, what services? Grace, let us know a little bit about this because this is a lot of stuff to chew on for today. <laughs> well, I would much rather hand this over to Jamie to tell you, but I'll let you know that this was a law enacted in uh, June of 2018 in California. It's some of the country's most powerful consumer data privacy protection. And it goes into effect January 1st, 2020, which is just around the corner. So, Jamie, tell us what is this law? Like, what does it entail? Sure. So... 
It's a big question, (laughs) (laughs) an overwhelming question. So we'll try to break it down. So essentially this law applies to California residents. So I want to start there because a lot of people are in a panic about, you know, what does this mean across the country? Right now, this is just California. So it is California residents. So the CCPA, as I'll call it, it applies to businesses and that word is defined in the CCPA. And so we have to look at how the word business is defined. So it's a for-profit business that does business in California. To do business in a state like California, you don't necessarily have to be sitting in California. You could be reaching in and doing business with California residents. So I think that's something important to, to think about. And any business that's for-profit, doing business in California, and you either control the collection of or the processing of personal information of California residents. So we're going to talk a little bit about what, you know, control, processing, collection, what that means, and also what personal information means. Because I think we all assume like we know what those words mean, but we have to look at what the law says that they mean. Right. And that's important. So you take that as your sort of baseline. And then there's one of three other factors that will apply to see if you're a business if you're a business under the CPA, CCPA that must comply. So your business either has annual gross revenue greater than $25 million. You buy, receive for commercial purposes, sell or share for commercial purposes, personal information of 50,000 or more California residents, households or devices. So that's a lot of right. different ways you can be accessing personal information or you make 50% or greater of your annual revenue in your business from selling California residents' personal information. And it, you only have to meet one of the three. It's not an and, it's an or. Okay. So that's how you know if the CCPA will apply to you as a business. Very interesting. So can you tell us what exactly it would require of businesses to comply? So it seems like, I mean, those are some big numbers, right? 25 million, 50,000. 50% of your income, but you know, it seems targeted at large companies. Would you say so? Or do you think this affects smaller companies as well? So I think it can affect companies of all sizes, particularly because of that second prong, the 50,000 California residents. So if you're a marketer or a content creator or someone who puts content out and has more than 50,000 California residents come to your website every single year and you're collecting personal information. So we should probably talk about what that means. Then it could apply to you. And that could be a single blogger <laughs> who right. has a lot of traffic and who yeah. collects personal information. And so I think it's really smart. And I think this is smart for anybody to do at all times, right? We should know our audience who we're collecting data from, and we need to know what personal information or what data we're collecting. It's just good business practices as a business who may in fact collect personal information. So maybe I should talk about what personal information is. So it's actually defined broadly. And one thing I also want to point out is right now, the law isn't in effect yet, even though it has been passed. And this law is going to be enforced by the Attorney General of California. And there's also potential private causes of action that a California resident may or may not have. And so because the Attorney General will be enforcing the law, they will also promulgate regulations so that the world sort of knows like this is how the Attorney General is going to enforce it. And this is how we're going to interpret it. Those haven't been published yet. 
So this information could change. I believe the comment period for the proposed regulations, as they're called, ends today. So there's going to be a whole bunch of regulations that are going to affect that will help us understand better how the law will be interpreted. The text of the law probably won't change, but how the law is interpreted, that is has the potential to change. And so I think a lot of people are guessing and lobbying. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I think there's a lot of flux that we have to be a little bit comfortable with. But because of that, I don't believe as of right now, enforcement is going to start till July of 2020. So while we have to comply, I think we're going to get a grace period to have a good understanding of how. So personal information under the CCPA is really broad, the way that it's been interpreted, the way it's been set forth as a definition. And I'm going to read it, which I don't normally like to do, but I want to have it exact. And it's basically information that identifies, relates to, describes, is capable of being associated with, or could reasonably be linked directly or indirectly with a particular consumer or household. And then there's a whole list of examples and you have your typicals, right? Like name, email address, but you also have IP address, geolocation data. Uh, You have browsing and search history and personal information can also be a way of identifying consumers to create a profile about a consumer, right? Regarding their preferences, characteristics, trends, behavior, intelligence. And now we start to think about marketing. <laughs> wasn't oh wasn't screen name also one of those things? Like even your oh, screen yeah. name you could use? Yeah. So that was really There's interesting. There's a list, a long list. I mean, I could list them all. Um, it's pretty easy to find mm-hmm. what the predetermined list is, but things not in that list, there could be other things not particularly listed that may fall into that definition. Right. Well, and we have a comment here. So on the record side, Vito asked, is that 50,000 users monthly or annually? Annually. Annually. And then um, we had another comment that says, we're nowhere near any of that. So this goes into my next question, which is, you know, we as an individual marketer, you as an individual business may not meet any or all of these requirements at all. And that's fine. But we do use ad networks. We use, some of us use agencies. Some of us use, and you and I, Jamie, you and I talked about lead gen ads. So at that point, if you're running an ad network or you're hired an agency that does these buys in aggregate, right? So you might not spend this much or you may not generate this much, but altogether that ad network and you are getting that information as a marketer, right? So if you're running lead gen ads, for instance, I'm getting all that information. I'm getting their email address. I'm getting their, maybe even their physical address, but they're definitely their name and definitely data about them. So who is responsible for compliance in that case? If I'm the company hiring, if I'm the client, I should say, hiring a company to do all this, but I'm benefiting from the data collection. Right. So at that point, it's just, that will really be dictated by your relationship with what the CCPA is calling a service provider. So it really depends on how the data is being collected and who's collecting it, right? Because the person typically, or the business typically that's collecting the information is actually the business. Um, And then it's been defined as service providers are the ones that are typically processing that information. So those types of relationships, I think will be governed by sort of the contract you have with those providers, whether they're collecting and get, and you're buying it from them, that might be a different story. But say you run ads on your website, you're 
likely collecting the data that's coming and it's being passed to, you know, if it's programmatic advertising, it's being passed through all of those systems. So they're essentially likely your service provider. So there's the businesses and the service providers both have responsibilities, but the actual data collector is the one who needs to provide the notice uh, okay. to the consumer. And so that's the important thing. So if you're collecting the data, like if it's, even if it's a script that's on your website that someone else has given you, you're really the point of collection. Um, and so you're going to need to provide those notices to your users. Cause a lot of this is a notice, it's a notice thing. You just need to mm-hmm. tell everyone how you're collecting their personal information and what you're doing with it. So that goes to what I'm going to talk about maybe later is an audit of all of those relationships, I think is a really good practice and a good place to start. So one of the questions I have when I hear you talking about this, what about like retargeting, you know, when, when we do retargeting on Facebook, you know, the Facebook sure. ads, and is it going to be like flow through to us? Because, you know, you always get people like, why did you send that? You know, they get mad at your, your targeting an ad to them. I mean, this has nothing to do with it. And they get mad and leave a bad comment. How much of this is going to flow through from like us retargeting California people on Facebook coming into, you know, what we're doing, you know, as an, as a kind of running ads for companies. If you're using the Facebook pixel, right. that needs to be in your privacy policy anyway, even if CCPA doesn't apply to you. It's best practices to tell the world that you're using the Facebook pixel and to point them into the, the opt-out because consumers can easily opt out of all of this data collection. They just need to know where and how. And so in your privacy policy, if you talk about remarketing, which I always recommend as a best practice, just include the link that says, you know, if you're not interested in, you know, getting, being a part of this or the cookie or however the case may be, here's your link, click on it, and then you can opt out. So it gives the consumer the absolutely the opportunity to opt out and then you should be fine. Right. So let's discuss some like email like tools and services. Cause I remember when GDPR came out, there was like migration tools and all this stuff happened and everybody was like going crazy. And so like for me in, you know, I'm based in Texas and I'm, you know, somebody comes to my website from California. Do I have to worry about that? Do I have to have this, all this stuff in place? And should I like, you know, if I'm using like AWeber or ConvertKit or, you know, MailChimp or all that, should I be like, be compliant? How do I be compliant? I mean, because I know a lot of people are asking this because it was a, such a big deal when GDPR came out. Yeah. I think the difference between GDPR and CCPA is GDPR was an opt-in, right? You had to opt in to consent for data collection. CCPA is an opt-out and it's an opt-out for sale of data. So that's a little bit different. Um, obviously, we all need to get consent right. for people to opt into our mailing list. So I'm not saying that. Right. But GDPR was pretty strict because you couldn't even fire your ads be- until because it's collecting data, right? It's collecting personally identifiable information. I'm just using that as an example mm-hmm. or something that automatic Google Analytics was another great example, right? Like if before you anonymized Google Analytics, it would fire on the website the minute I was there. And so they've already collected the data without my consent under GDPR. Mm-hmm. It's not the same standard. So it, I think it's going to look a little bit different. It may feel a little bit less intrusive um, depending on the circumstances. But I also think all of these service providers are going to be, the really great ones are going to be actively reaching out and they're going to be telling their, their customers, this is what we're doing to comply with CCPA. And I think they're going to give you the guidance that you need because so that you can continue doing what it is that you do and it doesn't hopefully have too much of a business interruption. Gotcha. So what happens when someone opts out? So let's say a California resident were to opt out of our, you know, our email list, right? And so mm-hmm. at that point when they opt out and they put in a request for 
all to have all their data deleted. Like what is required of us as the business when that happens? Like what is the fallout there? It's your responsibility to go to then follow the chain of the data. So you need to, this is why it's so important to audit your site, your website, to know how you're collecting data. Cause you're going to need to give that to your service providers. And you're going to need to say, I've received this deletion or opt out, not even just an opt out because an opt out is different than deletion. Mm -hmm. If you opt out, you're just saying, don't send me any more. But if someone gives you a request to delete their information, that's a different burden. So I think it's really important to know how to get in touch with the service providers who may have control over some of the data that's been collected, know how you can do it yourself. And Every provider is different. So it's really, this is why I think it's really important to sit down with someone who has an understanding of privacy law if you collect a lot of personal information because they can kind of guide you. Like, you know, we can give sort of like, we're giving general information here. I can't answer specific questions about like a specific plugin without seeing how they collect personal Mm -hmm. information, where it's stored. Are they reselling it? What is the relationship between the business who's the collector and the service provider who might be the processor and what the business who's collecting is doing with it as well. So you should obviously know what you're doing with the personal information that you're collecting. Are there specifications on how notice is delivered? For instance, if I, as a California resident, which I'm not, but if I were to say, um, we're being fully compliant and honest on the show. So if I was to say, you know, Jamie, I don't want to get any of, I want to opt out of all of your marketing, right? And I want you to delete all my data. Is there a protocol for how I'm supposed to ask for that? Like, is there a form that needs to be filled out? Does it come from, like, where should marketers be, or where should businesses be looking to get these requests from? Do you mean from the consumer? Like from the, the consumer, consumer, yeah. Yeah, so you have to give two methods uh, by which a consumer can contact you. Okay. Uh, one of which, according to the text of the law, should be an 800 number. So I'm really curious how that's going to play out because <laughs> many businesses don't have 800 numbers anymore. Right. But it is two methods. Um Obviously, I, I think most people will probably use an email, like a dedicated mm-hmm. email address, which most people, I think most businesses have dedicated privacy email addresses or a way like an admin address or a customer service a help that is monitored regularly. And then the business actually has, has rights. They are able to verify the request. So you can verify that the person is a California resident because let's say somebody's sitting here in Texas or New York. I don't have those rights as a resident of those states. I'm not a California resident. So you, the businesses absolutely are allowed to verify and are allowed to ask for information to verify the requests. And businesses also have 45 days to comply. So I want to be clear on this because you know I got to get this stuff hurts my head. It's like time travel. Um, so... It's just for California residents. So if somebody said, you know, want to do the same thing, I can go, nah, I'm from Texas. We don't care. I mean, I can, (laughs) I mean, really. No, 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 no. It's just for the California consumers. It's businesses everywhere. Okay. So if you're, as a Texas resident, you as the consumer or the user doesn't have rights under the, do not have rights under the CCPA. But as a business owner that may be sitting in Texas or New York or wherever, if I'm doing business and I fall in those categories, then I absolutely have to comply. But if someone, a consumer comes to my website and says, I want you to delete my information. And I start asking questions, are you a California resident would probably be my first. Mm -hmm. Um, And they say no, then they don't fall under a user that has rights under the CCPA because it is it is a California state law. It's just going to affect a lot of businesses that are not sitting in California. Right. Gotcha. Well, and I want to take a moment to note that the reason why we wanted to cover this and why it's so important is because 
as we know, GDPR was uh, was enacted. Was it last year or the year before, Jamie? Was a year it? and a half ago. Yeah. And then also I Japan. Had, well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> March, I remember the date, May 25th. I remember that. <laughs> I do. It's the day the world changed. Those Europeans. (laughs) I know. And then like Japan also has its protection of personal information. So, which is a similar policy. I don't know really anything about that either. But so this seems to me like a trend that's happening and with everything happening with Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, and we'll get into some of that later on in the show. I feel like this is important because it's a trend that is sweeping. And usually California does set the bar for a lot of policies that do end up being national policies. So this is important for us to, and that's why we're talking about it today. Other states are trying too. I really do believe that this is going to, it may not be the same law. It may not have the same teeth that the CCPA does. Um, And you also don't know what the federal government's going to do because these are state laws, but the federal government at some point could decide um, and step in and enact federal privacy regulations. I think being on top of it now and is just a best practice to just know what kind of data that and personal information that you collect as a business owner and know what your service providers are doing. There are so many plugins as an attorney who goes through and gets clients who ask me to draft privacy policies. And my one of my first questions is what plugins do you use? And it is sometimes shocking the amount of data that is collected uh, by these plugins that website owners don't even know is being collected. Mm. Right. So there's a question from George in the comments, and I know you can't be super specific, but I thought it was interesting because it it deals kind of with with images. And it says, how will this affect companies like Zillow and Realtor.com if they're asked to delete the pictures of a buyer's house? I guess we would have to determine whether or not that would be personal information, if whether or not that would fall under the category of personal information. I Because if it does, then Google Street View is like... Yeah, mess- I- I can't say for sure because I honestly, I actually hadn't thought about that. And I'd really have to, you'd really have to look at how the pictures get there and who's putting them there and whether or not they are categorized as personal information. I'm not sure that, I mean, they might be, I guess. It would just, I think it would yeah. depend on a lot probably of Probably if you're factors. out in your yawn, like in your bathrobe, that would probably be <laughs> personal, hopefully. But if not, you know. Well, can it connect? I mean, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants oh, no, that. But are you Nobody in the front yard or the backyard, Jeff? Front yeah, yard I, or backyard? I've had to move so many times. I've had to move. <laughs> so we've kind of talked about uh, CCPA and GDPR and how they're different. One's an opt-in, one's an opt-out. You also mentioned an audit. Can you give like just kind of some best practices on, okay, some people are maybe getting a little uneasy here. What do we need to kind of start doing? Yeah. So sit down. And I think you need to look at what personal information your business collects, where it comes from, the source of that personal information. Are you getting it, you know, by asking for it? Are you buying it? Is it coming through some of the third-party providers? How the information is collected, where it's stored, where and how it's deleted, um, and when it's deleted, how long it's stored for, how you use it, um, if any of it's sold, and the age of the consumer also matters because if somebody's under 16, it's an opt-in for collection of personal information. And we're not going to even get into the children right. issue. We're just going to assume everybody's over the age of 18 that's coming to our websites. But that is something that is dealt with um, under this as well. Um, so I think it's important. That's a really good way to start is to just look at, you know, what am I collecting? How am I collecting it? Where is it stored? Who's collecting it for me? What am I doing with it? And then we just have to tell everyone in our privacy policies. Gotcha. 
Well, Social Media Examiner has a very detailed uh, privacy policy, I believe, thanks to you, Jamie. <laughs> and I will link to it in the comments. And it is, I showed it to Jeff this morning and I had to stop showing him the privacy policy. I started crying a little bit, a little weeping. Yeah, it's very in-depth. It is it's very intense. So do you suggest that people have businesses have this level of detail in their privacy policy as well. I mean, it lists everything from who our partners are and what our partners do and links to their privacy policy. <laughs> I think it's best practices. I don't, I don't think you can go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're being overly inclusive, I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, I personally think that, you know, privacy is, Privacy laws and privacy protections are in theory good, <laughs> right? We want to know where our personal information right. is going, how it's sold, how it's used, where it is. Um, I think sometimes things get a little bit muddled in, in some of the sales and, and execution, but at least giving notice to your users of what information you're collecting. And much of it is information they're giving you. Right. So it shouldn't really be an issue. You know, a lot of times users are fine with entering all that information. They want that information. And so they want personalized ads on your website because they work. And so I think that if people stop looking at it as such a, a negative thing, and it really is okay to pass personal information, so long as you're confident and comfortable that it's protected and secure and you know what you are giving, then I think it's always a good practice to include that information and to have a really good um, detailed privacy policy. I mean, you have to have a privacy policy anytime you collect personal information. It's just the level of detail I think is a good practice. Awesome. Very good. So this has been amazing, uh, Jamie. Thank you so much. First of all, if we want to find out more about CCPA, where can we go? Well, um, there's good resources, like know what kind of resources you're reading, I guess I would say online. So look at the source. If it's coming from a law firm, that is often a better indicator than maybe a vendor. Definitely look to your service providers to see what kind of information that they're giving to you. I created a checklist totally free that um, just sort of has an FAQ if people want to download it. I did it because I thought it would take oh, some awesome. of this yeah. information that is overwhelming and often to people, they are nervous by it. And if I think if you break it down, it becomes a lot less overwhelming. So if you just sort of step-by-step step, do that audit, sit down, figure it out, know what needs to go into your privacy policy, I think it, it becomes a lot more manageable. Awesome. So where can we find that download and learn more about you and the legal services that you offer? Sure. So my law firm is hashtag legal and our website is hashtag dash legal.com. And if you go to hashtag dash legal.com backslash CCPA, you can find the download there. I've also done a series of videos on my Instagram channel, which is hashtag underscore legal. So you'll see that up there as well. Just minute long, you know, this is what this means and this is what this awesome. means. And so hopefully that is if you prefer to consume information via video or voice versus reading it, I gave some of that information there as well. So Awesome. Well, yep. thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to want to go to those links, so we'll make sure we drop those into the show notes that we publish on Saturday. And thanks so much, Jamie. We will see you again. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thank you. Bye thank now. you, Jamie. Bye. Wow. I need a break. Can you take over? Because I'm tired. <laughs> my brain hurts. Oh my gosh. It's But wow. she she really broke it down. I'm really interested to go and checking out her, the, the links that she provided for us because uh, she really did a great job of taking sometimes that legalese and really you know, digesting it for us simple folks like me. So I'm, 
I'm really excited about the, to check that out. So, and we, we have some questions in the uh, comments here. Like someone was asking, Adrian was asking about the impact on customer service. Will we have to ask customers if they live in California for assisting them via DM? I mean, I can't say whether or not there's some a lot of questions in there. So I suggest going to these resources. Mm-hmm. And contacting Jamie as well or contacting uh, your own lawyer as as well to clarify some of those details, because it's not so much. Um, and I read this. It's not so much a checklist like, you know, da, 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 you got to get this done, this done, this done. Mm-hmm. It's more has to do with how uh, your business uh, processes information. And for some, a lot of companies, it's it's going to be a technology investment. And for most companies, it's just going to be a an investment of time, of data mapping, of knowing who your partners are. Do they have this policy in place? And I mean, you can go as far as, de- <laughs> as with as much detail as Social Media Examiner has. And you can find our privacy policy at socialmediaexaminer.com slash privacy. Very simple. And you'll see how our company has broken it down and how I believe others should as well. Yeah. And so I want to remind you that all this stuff that we're talking about today, the links and everything, Grace is super awesome as the producer of this show is to drop that in on our Saturday uh, article, the Social Media Marketing Talk Show Recap. It publishes every Saturday at Social Media Examiner. That is at www.socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash news. That's socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash news. And this is a great time also to mention our sponsor, Social Media Marketing World 2020. You can register to go to that conference at socialmediamarketing.world. That's socialmediamarketing.world. We got some more news coming up, Grace, that kind of ties right into all this stuff today, doesn't it? Yes, you don't get to take a break or eat a sandwich no, or anything. We're we're going to dive right into some of this. So Twitter this past week uh, made its global privacy uh, changes to comply with CCPA. So they launched a site. It's privacy.twitter.com. It's updated its terms and privacy policy and also launched the Twitter Privacy Center, which provides more clarity around their company's efforts and what they're doing to protect users' personal information and data collected. And they even have pages devoted to CCPA and also GDPR and the global data processing addendum. And so all those can be found within this privacy center. So if you have a Twitter account, this is a good thing to link to, right? And so you can see what, you know, and other companies have followed suit, Google, uh, IAB Tech Labs and Microsoft to name just a few, each of them within this last week have published their own updates on California companies all based, you know, with, with the amount of data they're collecting, they're all cleaning house. And so you can find all that in links in our article. Yep. And uh, kudos to Twitter for getting on top of that. I was really impressed how fast it actually came out and they were, you know, doing all this stuff. So right on the heels of that, uh, Twitter expands access to brand survey tools to more advertisers. So what this is, is Twitter is helping brands understand their tweet campaign performance and kind of their brand lift by giving them access to its ad response survey tools. Now, uh, this is going to be available for all managed accounts in the U.S., U.K., Canada, Japan, and Brazil, but it's not open right now to all advertisers. So you need to have a managed account. So that's going to kind of limit that kind of thing. But it looked like it was a cool thing to actually kind of survey your audience and uh, see if things are working. Have you seen these Twitter surveys come up from uh, every now and then, Jeff? I haven't seen them yet, but I'm not a huge Twitter user just because there's so many platforms. But uh, it looked like it was something that would be very valuable. And once again, I was impressed by what Twitter's doing. I've actually seen them on other platforms as well. And they will ask you questions on, have you seen this ad? 
Like, mm. do you remember seeing this ad? And then what did you think of it? Uh, you know, just some insights beyond. And it's really great. And you can get information on not just your own brand, but also your competitors. So right. for instance, if you see a brand lift in your competitor based on creative that you launch, then maybe your messaging isn't different enough. Right. Yeah. And so there's a lot of information on here. And I mean, the couple that I've seen, I've, I've just had to be like, no, I don't remember that ad, but I, maybe I don't see ads. Maybe they go directly into my brain. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I thought it was good. I mean, cause it, that your point about seeing if it's different enough that you know, if you're running an ad and you're helping benefit another company, yeah, it might be change, time to change your ad copy a little bit. You know, I thought that was really interesting to be able to to break it down that way. And I think that is going to help some brands. I wish it would roll out maybe a little broader instead of just managed accounts, because that means you're probably spending a, a lot of money. So it's just interesting uh, that this is rolling out. Once again, kudos to Twitter. Yep. Well, moving right along to Facebook, they released their data portability tool for transferring photos. Now, when I first saw this, Jeff, like I was like, okay, who cares? Right. Because so, right. it just basically is an easy way to transfer your Facebook photos into directly into Google photos. And so you can download. And I think this is being tested. Oh, I do. This is being tested in Ireland right now, but worldwide access is planned in the first half of 2020. And this is the first steps uh, Facebook is taking in that data portability, which was one of founder Mark Zuckerberg's business priorities this year, at the beginning of this year. Uh, That was one of the big things that they're working on. And so this is an update to a broader process that Facebook is doing to make sure that people can remove their (laughs) information uh, from Facebook. And, you know, we, you and I were talking about the pre-show and you liked it because it's like you can download all your kids' photos. And, you know, my kids are like grown and I like, yeah, I see those like um, five years ago today and I'm like, <laughs> they left, you know. And so this is, I think, you know, we both talked about how great it would be able to download those things and have them in a different place and backing it up. But I kind of think it's kind of a PR move for Facebook because they want to be open and, hey, we, we're not keeping your data from you. And so I think it's a little bit of both, but all of this is good in my opinion. Yeah, I think it'll be great once it rolls out to pages, because if you were to switch agencies or switch accounts or rebrand or whatever, you can pull that and all that information or do regular audits where you're constantly backing up your information. So if Mm -hmm. something happens to your page, right, what is it? Don't build your house on other people's land. What was that saying? So, yeah, so it's just like it's a good way to um, keep that. I think it's great. I don't know how many people will actually access this. I think it's great for brands once it does roll out. I think it's great for users, that peace of mind. But we'll see where it goes. And you mentioned, too, if you ever, you know, we hear a lot about people can't get into their Facebook account because they let a manager use it and all this kind of stuff. And being able to have access to that data, you know, would be helpful as well. So very cool. Our next piece of news is about YouTube. YouTube has updated its term of service uh, the week of November 4th. YouTube alerted all visitors to its desktop site and mobile apps about these upcoming updates to its terms of service. And so it's going to come in effect on December 10th, 2019, so you don't have a lot of time. But the really interesting part about this, and a lot of people were talking about, is the line in there that says, YouTube is under no obligation to host or serve content, because that's kind of how it reads now. And so it's different from what it was before, but they say it's always kind of been in there. They kind of did this to make kind of protect some children's privacy and comply with the law. And you, if you've logged into YouTube anytime soon, you, you know, you're going to have to update that. It just gives you a warning and other changes. It seems to give like YouTube a little bit more power. It's one of the most controversial things because a lot of YouTubers and creators on there are saying that this gives them the power to deactivate my account if I'm not making enough money or not making them enough money. And so 
they have come back and said, listen, this has always kind of been this way. It's just a little bit, you know, clearer, you know, YouTube may terminate your access or whatever has been around for a while, but they're just making it a little clearer, probably because of this children's privacy thing. They want to have a little bit more, you know, handle on and a little bit more control. Right. And I think ultimately it protects all of us. Right. So, and it, and it just is that firm line in the sand of saying, Hey, something's objectionable rather than dithering about it or, you know, arguing about it. They're just like, you know, we get the final say, and this is, and honestly, like if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing on YouTube, it's not going to affect you. Right. Obviously, you know, they're not going to go after the little stuff. I mean, the amount of content that's uploaded to YouTube every minute, I mean, like, this is really just to protect them when someone flags something and it really is awful. Mm-hmm. They have the right to just take it down. No questions asked. Right. Exactly. And take their time. So uh, this kind of links into the next thing, which is YouTube is outlines its ongoing efforts to protect community from harmful content. So I don't know if you recall, but there was an issue where uh, with breaking news where you know, as the stories unfolding, conspiracy theories start floating up, start getting on YouTube. And so those conspiracy theories started catching on more than the actual news event. And so this is their move to prioritize actual official news, actual keep it facts, and then uh, minimize those less authoritative sources. So this is an effort on their part to elevate those authoritative sources in their system, providing reliable information faster, like deciding which is real and which isn't, right? And then providing more context for users about where a video might be coming from, where news might be coming from, and just specifying that. And so again, it's just elevating good voices, kind of right. de-elevating like some of the more questionable stuff. And finally, with the last thing, the final say and saying, no, this needs to go. Right. And I really liked it because I saw some of the screenshots, how it was working is that... Um, like if it was breaking news and something was going on and there wasn't any like credible source of information, they would have a link to like a text article where you could find out about it. And I thought that was really cool. I thought that looked really nice mm-hmm. and especially yeah. for the breaking news stuff. So yeah, thanks for that. By the way, we're going to have a ton of more YouTube updates. YouTube has been going crazy with the updates lately. And we're going to have next week, our special guest is Luria Petrucci of Livestreaming Pros. So you want to make sure to come back next week for that because it's going to be all YouTube all the time next week. So it's going to be really, really cool. So watch us here um, on Crowdcast Live, or you can check us out on the podcast. We'll have that up always too. So that is our show today. Reminding you again, you can find more details, links, and notes on everything we discussed in today's episode in our social media marketing talk show recap. It publishes on Saturdays at Social Media Examiner at socialmediaexaminer.com forward slash news. That's put together by our super awesome and super smart, great stuffy. You want to make sure to go check that out. And you can also find our audio podcast of this show on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher with new episodes that are publishing every Saturday. And don't forget to register for Social Media Marketing World 2020 at socialmediamarketing.world. Grace and I will be there with just excited to meet you and see everybody. So make sure you go there at socialmediamarketing.world. That is our show. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thank you to Jamie Lieberman for joining us. And you can learn more from Jamie at hashtag legal and on the Fearless Business Podcast. Join us for our next show on Friday, December 13th at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. You can also add our show to your calendar at socialmediaexaminer.com slash live show. And we will be here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye now. Bye, everyone. The Social Media Marketing Talk Show is a Social Media Examiner production. For more social media insight, visit socialmediaexaminer.com.
Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.